Yes, it's Tuesday, September the 19th in the year of our Lord, 2023. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and with me will be Pastor Mark Smith as we take a look at the hymn for this coming Sunday that is assigned. It is salvation unto us has come. And you want to know what it sounds like? Here we go. unto us has come and it is for this coming Sunday the main hymn when Martin Luther published his formula Missa that is the order for the Latin mass in 1523 he expressed a strong desire that hymns be also written in the vernacular that means not in the Latin but in the German. He was committed to providing German language hymns for the people to sing and was actively seeking gifted poets to work with him on this project. One such poet was Paul Spiratus, born 1484, died 1551. And he wrote three of the eight hymns published in the first Lutheran hymnal. It was literally called the Eight Hymn Book in 1524. Now the first hymn printed in that volume was Luther's Dear Christians One and All Rejoice. Then this 10 stanza hymn was followed by Sparatus's 14th stanza, Salvation Unto Us Has Come. Both hymns clearly distinguish law and gospel and proclaim that the sinner is justified by God's grace through faith. Thus, what is noteworthy about the very first Lutheran hymnal ever published is the choice and prominent placement of these two hymns, both of which, in a concise, poetic manner, encapsulize the doctrine and teaching at the heart of the Lutheran Reformation. So, I imagine that this is one of your favorites, Pastor Mark Smith. Yeah, it is. And it's it's also 
the other one you mentioned, uh, Dear Christians, One and All Rejoice, those two I get confused all the time. The, you know, the rhythm is kind of similar in the length of the hymn, but I love them both. Yes. Now, in our particular hymnal, we only have 10 stanzas, so instead of the full 14, so we really need to get to work in taking a look at them. If you would read the first stanza. Okay, gladly. Salvation unto us has come by God's free grace and favor. Good works cannot avert our doom. They help and save us never. Faith looks to Jesus Christ alone, who did for all the world atone. He is our one Redeemer. Notice that the hymn says that salvation isn't ours because we went to it, but it came to us. Salvation unto us has come. That's really important. That's right. The God takes the initiative. Yes, God takes the initiative. And he does it by his free grace and favor. Without hesitation, good works cannot avert our doom. They help and save us never. You know, that is not known by any other religion in the world. In every other religion in the world, your good works are what supposedly averts your doom. And yeah, that's what they, sets that's what sets uh, Christianity entirely apart and yes. indicates its divine origin too. Well, that comes with faith looks to who? To Jesus Christ. Yes. And who did for all the world atone. What does that mean? Well, that's very important. He he uh that's his objective justification. He died on the cross to atone for the sins of the whole world, all people. In fact, he even even atoned for those who will finally reject him and not believe in him. But he died for all. It's it uh yes. Christianity reaches, Christ reaches out to all people. This is a great law and gospel hymn. I'll read stanza two. What God did in his law demand, and none to him could render, cause wrath and woe on every hand, for man the vile offender. Our flesh has not those pure desires the spirit of the law requires, and lost is our condition. Wow, that is really good, because we know what God demanded in his law. That's found in Exodus. It's called the Ten Commandments and many other things that God demanded, and nobody to him could render. How how did the fact that God demanded his law to be obeyed, how did that cause wrath and woe on every hand? It brings us to our knees. Uh, because, uh, and that's, you know, every every sermon should do the same. It brings us to our knees and helps us realize we are lost and condemned creatures apart from Christ. Christ is the only way. And that is the wondrous good news 
that uh, of the gospel. You know what is really good about this verse? A lot of people think, well, I can obey the law. I don't kill anybody. I don't uh, commit adultery. I don't steal. But this verse says that that's not sufficient for you just to outwardly obey the commandments. What else is necessary? Well, of course, uh, you know, Jesus makes clear in his Sermon on the Mount that, uh, you know, even if we uh, if we hate someone uh, from the heart, that's uh, we're guilty there, too. But what does the verse say about what else is needed? Okay, Uh, our flesh is not those pure desires uh, that the spirit of the law requires. So the, the, the spirit of the law requires also uh, pure desires from the heart. Out of the heart proceeds adulterers, uh, murders, and, and uh, fornication. And see, that's why God indicates we don't obey the law as unbelievers because we never had the proper motivation. Right. That, that's what is meant by the pure desires. And the pure desires are to give glory to the Holy Trinity and especially Jesus Christ for what he has done. And so until you get the Holy Spirit, it's impossible to obey the law properly. Yeah, so often people will try to keep the Ten Commandments and they'll think, what a good boy am I, you know? And... uh, (laughs) that shows us right there that our our uh, desires aren't aren't pure. Yes, stanza three talks about that. If you'll read that, it was a false, misleading dream that God His law had given, that sinners could themselves redeem and by their works gain heaven. The law is but a mirror bright to bring the inbred sin to light that lurks within our nature. Now, that's really a great law and gospel verse also, because as you've mentioned, the idea that every religion believes that, well, the law was given so that we could redeem ourselves, that is a false, misleading dream. In fact, one can call it a nightmare. Yes. And speaking of nightmares, that's uh, that verse. That third verse talks about the second use of the law. That is, uh, it shows us our sin. Yes. And what is the word used that shows sin? The law is a what? A, a mirror bright. Yes. Yeah. yeah it's that, like when we. When we look in the mirror, when we get up in the morning, we don't always like what we see. Our hair is tangled. Our face is a mess. We need, we need to shave. Uh, and, and the mirror does the same thing. The mirror of the law does the same thing for our souls. It shows us what a sinful being we are. So there is a distinction between the old Adam and the new man, which stanza four talks about. From sin, our flesh could not abstain. Sin held its sway unceasing. The task was useless 
and in vain. Our guilt was ere ever increasing. None can remove sin's poison dart or purify our guileful heart. So deep is our corruption. So this is again, what, the second use of the law? Yes, yes, that's the second use of the law. It shows us our sins. Right. And so we the cannot gospel... abstain from our sin as an unbeliever. No, no way. Yeah, I made this point a number of times. When a child is born, there's always a necessity of helping them to see the wisdom of God and how to live a good life. And so there's a lot of instruction and discipline that parents give to newborn children who, of course, have the old man still in them and are in rebellion even against parents, let alone against God. But as they grow older, that discipline really goes away. Now, you've had children, right? Oh, yes, and grandchildren. Now, when's the last time that you brought discipline upon your oldest child? <laughs> well, that's uh, <laughs> that's been a lot of years ago, really. Exactly. <laughs> Because in his early years, you and your wife formed their view of proper behavior. And that's the task of parents. And that's done by taking them to church, Sunday school, vacation Bible school, reading Luther's small catechism and helping them to understand it at home. That's so right. that they grow up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Yeah, Tom, you know, you, you said uh, uh, we, can't, we can't abstain from sin even when we come to faith. Yes. Let alone when we're outside of the faith. Uh, we, we even then can have a hard time. We have to struggle. We still have that old Adam that wants us to go back to our sinful ways. That's what Romans 7 is all about, where Paul talks about exactly what you just said all right stanza five please yet as the law must be fulfilled or we must die despairing christ came and has god's anger stilled our human nature sharing he has for us the law obeyed and thus the father's vengeance stayed which over us impended now, this is really an important verse because a lot of people, when they think of Jesus, he came to give us forgiveness by paying for our sins. But he did something else also. He, for us, the law obeyed. Now, why is that important? Well, he, the law had to be fulfilled. God is not an unjust judge. Uh, the law had to be fulfilled, and Christ, Christ, the God-man, is the only one who could do it. Exactly. 
because he could obey the law without any sin. And thus the father's vengeance stayed. How do you explain that to a child? Well, Christ was the sacrifice to atone for all of our sins. He, uh, he has, you know, he's fulfilled the law for us. He's, he's, he is the ultimate sacrifice. He is the sacrifice. He's the Lamb of God that all those, those other lambs sacrificed throughout the Old Testament were pointing to. Exactly. All right, I'll read verse 6. Since Christ has full atonement made and brought to us salvation, each Christian therefore may be glad and build on this foundation. Your grace alone, dear Lord, I plead. Your death is now my life indeed, for you have paid my ransom. Now, we've talked about the law, the second use of the law. Verse 6, what's that talking about? Yeah, that talks... Uh, it talks about the uh, third use of the law, somewhat anyway. Uh, that's the the third use of the law is we we build on the foundation that Christ has started by fulfilling the law for us. We love because He first loved us, and so right. now those 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 ten commandments are our guide for Christian living. We show I would our say love. Verse six is really the gospel right since christ is full atonement that's that's the wondrous news he has he has full fully atoned for all of our sins and he has brought us to salvation yes and so therefore we can be glad as we build on this foundation remember it's god's grace and favor in stanza one and his grace alone, dear Lord, I plead. And we get back to grace and mercy. What's the difference between the two? Oh, let's see. Uh, I've always got that written down now. Let's see, where is it? <laughs> you would ask me that question this morning. Well, mercy <laughs> is not... Yeah. Here we go. Hurry. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. And grace? Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Exactly. And, and justice what... is getting what you deserve. <laughs> yes. And, of course, we deserve eternal separation from God. That's and right. And Jesus even fulfilled that on the cross. My God, my God, why have you left me alone? That's right. He, so, he suffered the very pangs of hell as he hung on that cross, the hell that we deserved. And so the gospel continues in verse 7. Yeah, let me not doubt, but truly see your word cannot be broken. Your call rings out, come unto me. No falsehood have you spoken. Baptized into your precious name, my faith 
cannot be put to shame, and I shall never perish. Boy, that's that's good gospel, isn't it, Tom? It really is. And it indicates the big difference between Christianity and every other religion. In every other religion, they're looking for you to do good works. But in Christianity, we're saved by what? Totally by grace, through faith in Christ. And what specifically is it that saves us according to this verse? Well, it talks about his promise. Let me exactly. not doubt. Uh, your word cannot be broken. That is, his, his promises cannot be broken. Uh, your call rings out, come unto me. That's what the message of the gospel is. It is the promises of Christ, not only from the cross, but after the resurrection and throughout his ministry. That's right. So that's really critical promises. All right, stanza eight, please. The law reveals the guilt of sin and makes us conscience stricken. But then the gospel enters in the sinful soul to quicken. Come to the cross, trust Christ and live. The law, no peace can ever give, no comfort and no blessing. What a great distinction between law and gospel. The law's goal is to reveal the guilt of sin. That was the task of John the baptizer. Right. Then the task of Jesus was to bring in the gospel. What does it mean, the sinful soul to quicken? It gives us, it gives us life. It, it, yes. The sinful soul is given life by the gospel. Exactly. So we come to the cross, trust Christ, and live. And in a real sense, the cross has come to us. Remember the parable of the lost sheep. And so Christ comes to us and gives us a peace that the law can never give because we realize we can't obey the law. No. But the gospel gives us true comfort and blessing. Yeah, once again, God takes, God takes the initiative. He runs out to us and, and, and sweeps us into his arms, so to speak. Verse 9 tells us what he gives us, if you'll read that. Faith clings to Jesus' cross alone and rests in him unceasing. And by its fruits, true faith is known with love and hope increasing. For faith alone can justify. Works serve our neighbor and supply the proof that faith is living. So how would you explain to, say, youth confirmation, the distinction between works and faith? Well, works are important. Uh, I think of that passage, you know, just because they can't save us, but nevertheless, they are important, and God wants us to do them. He says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. They indicate, like. they indicate faith works 
indicate that uh, that faith is there. Faith is living. What I like saying is the way Christianity works is when a child is born into a family, it begins to do good works in that family. It eats the food that's given, wears the clothes, sleeps in the bed that's given, uh, begins to obey parents. But none of that makes the child the child. That's right. What made the child is being begotten or adopted. Right. And that's what this verse is really talking about, that our works in no way make us a child of God. But once we are a child of God, our works serve our neighbor and supply to God the proof that faith is living. So, yes, even though our works are never perfect, though, are they, Tom? No. Uh, they can be at times called fruit of faith when they're inspired by the Holy Spirit. Stanza 10, please. All blessing, honor, thanks, and praise to Father, Son, and Spirit, the God who saved us by his grace, all glory to his merit. O triune God in heaven above, you have revealed your saving love, your blessed name we hallow. Now that's really an important teaching of the Trinity. It doesn't say the God who saved us by their grace, all glory to their merit. It remains in the singular. That's Why right. is that? Well, because God is one. He's triune. He's three persons, but one God. Yes. And what a way to end this hymn. There's a triangle in front of it. What does that mean? That indicates that uh, that we stand. This is a Trinitarian verse. And uh, there's another name given for these kinds of verses, but I can't think of it at the moment. But we stand for that because it does speak of all three persons of the, of the Trinity. Exactly. Because he's revealed his saving love. Tremendous hymn by Paul Sparatus, the second hymn found in the very first Lutheran hymnal. Thank you very much, Mark Smith in helping us understand salvation unto us has come. Uh, tomorrow we'll be taking a look at some more of Solomon's writings in Proverbs. I'm Tom Baker, Mark Smith. God bless you. Listen to Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check out to Law and Gospel and mail to Law and Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132, or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. 
We are the messenger of good news worldwide KFUO.